I want to look at uh, the cost of freedom today and, and, and understanding that freedom isn't free, okay? And, and I, want to, I want to look at a little bit of patriotism, some, some American examples of that. Uh, author Herbert Douglas wrote this. He said, uh, you know, talking about the cost of freedom and, and asking what did it cost or what does it cost, his, here's what he wrote. He said, ask the 19-year-old teenagers, the average age of the 1st uh, U.S. Marine Division, who landed August 7, 1942, on the north shore of Guadalcanal, a small tropical island not far from Australia. Guadalcanal was the first time the American forces stopped the Japanese sweep of the South Pacific, South Pacific, turning the tide of the war in that area. But at what cost? Under fire during the landing, the naval forces pulled away, leaving the young Marines without air support, without most of their heavy weapons, tanks, and the rest of their supplies. But those teenagers hung on in that rain-soaked, malaria-ridden land, fighting off uh, snakes, leeches, jungle rot, and well-entrenched enemy. For the next six months, Guadalcanal became hell for both the young Marines and for the defenders. When in early 1943 the Japanese pulled out, only 10,000 soldiers were left of the original 40,000. The first Marines required a full year of rehabilitation before they could be called a fighting unit again having lost thousands dead and wounded. The cost is incalculable. There's a great cost to the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. Consider the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Individually, each of them had more to lose than to gain in the revolution. Most of them were already men of standing in their communities, highly educated uh, and owners of substantial property. John Hancock was the richest man in America. He became a wanted man with a price of $500 on his head. They did not choose to revolt. They merely wanted to be treated the same as other Englishmen were in England. And they all knew the penalty for treason was death by hanging. Each signer became a marked man, pursued relentlessly by the British retribution. None who had property or family were spared. Most lived to see their families killed or separated forever, and their property sacked. Nine signers died of wounds or hardships during the war. Many died in poverty. The framers, the, the founding fathers, died in poverty in our country. Their pledge, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, was no boast. The cost of freedom is incalculable. And, and, and if we appreciate American history, we can go on and on and on and, and enjoy the cost that it's taken to become a nation as we are today. But more than that, as the church, as the bride of Christ, the freedom that you and I have and enjoy pales the comparison, right, of the American this American country. Our, our freedom that we enjoy and that the freedom that's afforded to the church was bought at such a higher price than our freedoms we enjoy as a nation today. It was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. He accomplished it and gave himself to give us an eternal freedom. An eternal freedom. The point of the day, if you, if you miss everything else, here's the point of the day. Taking that freedom seriously, the freedom we have in Christ, taking that freedom seriously means taking seriously what that freedom costs. 
I think it's so easy as Americans, it's so easy as the church to just start kind of living and doing our thing, and, and we're okay, and, and we, it's kind of a cush life, especially in America, but, but it's not so cush all the time. And if we take seriously, say that we were bought at this, at this huge cost, this huge price, it cost Jesus everything. And if it cost Jesus everything, we got to take this, this freedom that we have because of it seriously. There's a seriousness of purpose that's afforded from that. That we can live freely because of what Christ has done. Our scripture today, if you have your Bibles in 1 Peter, if you turn there with me today, 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 18. Thanks to the Coles, by the way, for the nice clippies and music stand. Beginning in verse 18, 1 Peter 1. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or, defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Today, I, I want to unpack that a little bit, and I want us to, to look at what redemption accomplished as far as our freedom. When we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it accomplished freedoms that we can enjoy as Christians that, that should motivate us as Christians today. So, so the first thing I want to look at is this, uh, that, that, that redemption accomplished a freedom from sin's consequences. A freedom from sin's consequences. You look back at 1 Peter and 1.18, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down from your fathers. Now this sounds like the gospel starting right here, right? We have this empty way of life handed down by generation by generation, starting in the beginning, Scripture would say, with the first Adam, right? When, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world and death entered the world. And we all have that effect on us now. The Bible says not one is without sin, not one is good, not one, except for Jesus. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That, that's the boat we're all in. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, if you're old or if you're young, you're smart or you're dumb. We are all separated by God by our sin. We're in the same boat together. And when freedom comes, when the life, life uh, rafts come, it is a life rafts because of Jesus. It's not because I built one. It's not because I blew one up. It's because Jesus said, here you go, I'm here to rescue you. We are freed from the consequences of sin because of Jesus. Before Jesus and without Jesus, we were wanderers and idolaters. Focused mainly on our self-interests. Before Jesus, it was all about me. How, how good I look, my ego, what I own, what I possess. Those are the things that made me who I was. But with Jesus, none of that matters because it's all counted as rubbish to be heaped on a pile and burned. You and I have all sinned. And, and, and frankly, that's why you and I can all be here today. 
because we're in that same boat and we were delivered in the same way by the same good God, Jesus Christ. And we have the same freedom in Christ. And that is that although the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in you, in, in me, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? We're here because we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you're here and you're like, what is he talking about? I don't get in, in Christ Jesus. That means you're still in the boat. And you need to get in the life raft. You understand that Jesus is saying, here, I'm here to rescue you. You understand that you can't do it on your own. You can't do enough good to erase any of the bad you've done. You might be able to outweigh it, but you can't erase it. God says, follow me. Come in my boat. I want to rescue you. I want to redeem. I want to buy you back. I want to pay the price. And Jesus did that. So it's not just that we're freed and we have this freedom from the consequences of sin. It's that we have this freedom from the consequences of sin by the blood of Jesus. You see where that scripture continues to go on in, in 18 and 19. It says, we were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down, right, from our fathers. Not with perishable things like silver or gold. Right? Jesus didn't make this deal like, well, here you go, I'll just pay the silver and gold, or I'll trade you this property for this soul. Jesus gave himself up because the wages of sin was not silver or gold. The wages of sin was death. And verse 19 says, we were not bought with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. See, Christ came to our aid. He came to our rescue. Before the foundations of the world, before you were a glimmer, before anyone was a glimmer, Jesus knew he was going to be on that cross. Jesus knew that he would have to be on that cross because it takes blood, the shedding of blood. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Why through Christ? Because when he paid that penalty, he didn't pay it for something he had done. He paid that penalty for what I have done. And he was able to die in my place as my substitute because he was sinless. And while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And Christ died for you. And there is freedom from the consequences of sin now for those that are in Christ Jesus by the blood of Christ Jesus. Amen? It's no longer me trying to reach him and trying to outlast and outdo or outwit it's all about Jesus having finished it for us. We were not bought with perishable things, but by the precious blood. Since the beginning of God's story and our story, the plan was always Christ as the perfect lamb sacrifice. And that is, that is so, so humbling to know. God's gracious love is that big that before the foundation of the world he said i love you and i'm sending jesus so you don't have to die i want to rescue you and what it, what it takes for you and i if you haven't if you haven't let christ forgive you if you haven't put your life in christ it takes a humility of heart see before christ i said we, we were wanderers right like, like, like our fathers we were wanderers we were idolaters. We were proud and had pride. 
ruling our life. What Jesus says is there's a humility that has to come over you and I that drives us to our knees in meekness, saying, I am utterly empty. I am utterly empty and, and have nothing to offer Jesus except me on my knees. And when, when the meekness of our heart turns from the pride of life and turns to our Messiah, Jesus Christ, we open our heart up to him and receive what only he can give. Life. Eternal life. And eternal freedom. And taking what he did on the cross seriously allows us to take our freedom seriously. The next thing that we can, next freedom we can see accomplished uh, by the redemption is this. We have the freedom to choose to choose a life lived passionately after Christ. We have the freedom to choose. And this is, this is huge. This is, this is like the Christian life in a nutshell. It's not, it's not under the thumb. You know, there's this, uh, we talk about this a lot. In my, my church, I say this a lot, and I've said this with youth and adults. True freedom is not just doing what your parents tell you to do or doing what society tells you to do or doing what's expected of you. Right, because it's kind of like you're under the thumb. I know when I was, when I was at home as a teenager and, and younger, I was doing what my dad told me to do because I was scared, right? It's like, you do this or else, and I didn't want the or else. That was not freedom. That was discipline and rearing and, and helping me become the man I am today, but it was not freedom. Now, as I grew, my freedoms increased. As I showed responsibilities, I showed that I could choose to obey and choose to do what he wanted me to do, my freedoms increased. See, with freedom comes responsibility, and the responsibility is to choose to do what is right and good, to choose to live passionate, passionately uh, for, for something greater than yourself. It's a choice to live that way, and that's, that's when we know it's true freedom, when you have the choice, amen? It's not freedom if you don't have a choice. The redemption offered us the choice, first, to turn our hearts to him, and secondly, to live passionately after him. And, and for us, this is the big part for Christians who, who, who call yourself a Christian or maybe you're a Christian and you're just kind of living the ho-hum, sit, sit in the pews, fill a seat on Sunday morning kind of life. Understand the cost involved in that freedom for you to do that. And that you have the freedom to do so much more. To choose things that are so much higher. And have such a greater reward. And that have eternal consequences and eternal, eternal rewards. Those are the things we ought to be about. Some, some scriptures from Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 1 says, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Before Jesus, that's all we knew. That's all we could do. When sin entered the world, death entered the world, and you and I were sinful. We had it in our, in our gut to do it. That's just what we did, and we were under that slavery, that yoke of sin. When Christ freed us from that, now he gave us a choice. And he's writing to the, the uh, Paul writes to the church of uh, Galatia and says, stand firm. That's your choice. Stand firm. He's given you an option, giving you an opportunity. And says, don't submit. Choose to not submit. You're, you're, you can make a choice to not submit to the yoke of slavery. In verse 7, he skipped down there. It says, you were running so well. You were, you were running so well. Who uh, prevented you from obeying the truth? Who prevented you from obeying the truth? 
Not because of compulsion, right? Who prevented you? Who put their thumb on you again? Where did that come from? Is what Paul is asking. You have a freedom. Choose that freedom. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from the one who called you. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Who put that thumb back on you? It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't our, our Father in heaven. It was someone else. And Paul has some pretty harsh words to say to those someone else's. But for you and I, we have to choose freedom. We have to choose and say, I want that freedom. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand firm and do what the one who called me to do. Verse 13, it goes down. Uh, verse 13 says, For you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but an opportunity to serve one another out of love. We have this opportunity, right? This choice. We're called to be free, and, and some say, Well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. That grace might abound. No, may it never be. Let's obey. Let's use the freedom we have to choose to do what is right, to choose to love one another, to choose to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and right, and choose to love our neighbor as ourselves. That, that's what we need to choose. Choose life and choose love. James chapter 2, verse 12 says this, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. You see, what we're doing now is going to be judged. And I don't want that question to come up and say, why were you doing that? And I'll be like, because somebody told me I should. Or someone expected me to. It's not going to fly with Jesus. It's not going to be flying with the judge who called us by the law of freedom. What he wants is, is me in front of him saying, I did whatever I could from my heart, the best I knew how, and I lived free, and I chose you as often as I, as I could. We all, we all are good at looking the part. Some of us are. I mean, some aren't, right? But no, we can do that. We're good at looking the part. We're good at putting in our time and stamping our time card. But are we good at sacrificing who we are, laying down our life? We are not to serve and love out of, as those out of compulsion under the thumb, but as those compelled and captivated by him. You see, when I'm compelled and captivated, it's freedom. Compulsion is Get back under the thumb. Do this because I want you to do it. There is no freedom in that. There is no joy in that. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, it's God's spirit that, that he's promised that lives inside of us, and where his spirit is, there is freedom in that. There is freedom. And I, so what I want you to do is do this with me. Take a deep breath in and out. Oh. Just take a deep breath and let it out. Because in Christ, there is freedom. Where his spirit is, there is freedom. There is rest in that. There's not guilt. There's not shame. The shame's gone. Jesus says, here, take, take this and, and have rest. I will give you rest. And he does. We can take that deep, deep breath. See, it's in him we live and move and have our being. I read a devotional this week um, from John Piper, and I wanted to read this. This fit in really well. It says, what is true freedom? And the question is, are you free? Are you free? 
if you don't have the desire to do a thing, you are not fully free to do it. Oh, you may muster up the willpower to do what you want to do, but nobody calls that full freedom. It's not the way we want to live. There is a constraint and a pressure on us that we don't want. See, that's not freedom, right? He goes on, if, if you have the desire to do something, but not the ability to do it, you're not free to do it. And if you have the desire and the ability to do something, but not the opportunity to do it, you are not free to do it. <clears throat> and if you have the desire to do something and the ability to do it and the opportunity to do it, but it destroys you in the end, you are not fully free. Not free indeed. To be fully free, we must have the desire, the ability, the opportunity to do what will make us happy forever. No regrets, and only Jesus, the Son of God who died and rose for us, can make that possible. Because if the Son shall set you free, then you are free indeed. I got goose, goose pimples there, right? It's just like, wow. The Son set you free. You are free indeed. Finally, this freedom that was afforded to us was a freedom to be fulfilled in Christ, that you and I would be fulfilled in Christ. And that's the real rub. We go back to be a wanderer. We go back to be an idolater because we want to fill our lives with stuff that makes us happy. And Jesus says, listen, I'm here. I can make you happy. I'll, I'll be the promise to fulfill you in the freedom that you have. You can follow after me. You can love me. You can serve me, and I will fulfill you. And for, in fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he, that's Jesus, was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end times for you, for you and I, right, through, who through him are believers in God. So we are believers in God because he was chosen before the foundations of the world. And our belief is not in us or in the mountain or something else. Our belief is in the creator God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Who we, you and I, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that, here it is, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Jesus gave us this freedom. It's not about you. It's not what you can do and what you can accomplish. It's not, it's not your resume. We're all in the same boat, remember? And guess who, who was the rescuer? It was Jesus. Guess who did all the paddling? It was Jesus. He did all the work. You and I didn't shed any blood that would cover it. He did all the work necessary so that our hope, and, and, and we didn't raise him from the dead either, right? God raised him from the dead. When, when Jesus died and ro rose from death, he conquered Satan's sin and death once and for all, something you and I can't do, something you and I will never be able to do. But God did. And because he did and because we are in him, we have a hope that is beyond anything we could ever imagine. I could die right now, and I tell you what, I, I, I'm in glory. I, I'm good. I mean, I love my family. I love my children, my wife. My, I, but listen, I have a hope that's beyond this place. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And, and while I'm in this place, that hope will fulfill me. That hope will carry me through. And, and, and as, I'm, as I'm hopeful, I am also going to lay my life down, too. I'm going to choose to sacrifice myself so that others may live so that others may know. I want to read a passage out of Hebrews 
You want to turn back a couple pages from, from Peter? <coughs> Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of faith. It's the very end of the, the chapter. I encourage you to read it uh, all for context. The writer of Hebrews says this, and what more can I say? That's what you're wishing I would say, right? What more can I say? What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut, uh, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, uh, as well as bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. Uh, 39a says, all these were approved through their faith. You see, there is a great cost to our freedom. That great cost is the blood of Jesus Christ. But there is an ongoing cost that can be paid every day as you and I decide to deny ourselves and lay ourselves down and say, I will sacrifice so that others may live. I will do whatever is necessary today, this side of heaven, for the glory of God. I will think in eternal perspectives and let Jesus Christ reign in my mortal body. That when people see me, they see the Son and are pointed to the Son. And that when people are pointed to the Son, they have life and they have freedom. The same freedom that you and I have. Amen? <clears throat> that is what our freedom is about. But taking seriously the freedoms that we have as Christians means taking seriously the cost. The cost involved in paying for that freedom. We were bought at a price. We ought to honor God with our bodies, using our bodies as instruments of righteousness, laying it down as a sacrifice of worship before the one who called us. Freedom isn't free. Although it was given to us as a gracious gift, it cost Jesus everything. And now you and I ought to lay our lives down. And maybe it'll cost us everything for the glory of God. Amen. Uh, I've been asked the worship team to come on back up and uh, we're going to go back into some worship. Would you guys stand and pray with me as they do? God, you are a great and glorious God and I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for the love that was in Christ that, that God, as he went to, to the cross, he did it for us willingly because of deep love. God, we want to embrace him. We want to live in Christ Jesus and in the freedom that he's, he's afforded to us. We thank you for the redemption. We thank you that he paid for us. He, he bought us back. That once we were dead and now we are alive. We thank you that the son has set us free and if the son has set us free that we are free indeed. We ask that we would live as the living, breathing bride of Christ, being his hands, his feet, his face, to a world who desperately needs him. It's in Jesus' glorious name we pray.
Amen.